Okay, if you would take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> and I'm going to start at verse 24 and read down through verse 26. And the context of this is uh, Paul is um, uh, on his way back to Jerusalem. And he stops at Miletus and sends for the elders from Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was one of the uh, great churches of the New Testament times, of course, spoken of in Revelation chapter 2 as well. And so in verse 24, he says, But none of these things move me. He's talking about the things that are prophesied concerning him of his arrest at Jerusalem. None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. So I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So the title of the message this afternoon is Declaring the Whole Counsel of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that we have to open your precious word. We thank you that we have a complete revelation. And Father, I pray that you'd help us as your people to be people who receive and hold to the whole counsel of God. That it may be well with us. And, Father, that we would be prosperous in walking with, your, with you and be, and be counted faithful. And we will hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, when we stand before you. So I pray that you would help us and help us to grow in understanding of thy truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, <coughs> excuse me. Many years ago, at least 35 years ago, because it's before I was married, I do know that. I was out in visitation, and I knocked on a door, and a teen boy answered. There were three of them. And I began to do what I was taught, and I asked him if he died tonight, if he knew where he'd spend eternity, and he didn't know. So I asked him if I could show him how he could know. What I remember best of the conversation, he said, I guess. So we went into a little room, kind of away from the others, but the others still could see the others, and they were watching TV. And I began to, as, again, as I was taught and did for many years, I went through the Romans road. Romans 3.10, all of sin comes short of the glory. I had all these verses marked out in my Bible. Romans 3.10, all of sin comes short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, wage of sin is death. Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love toward us, and while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then Romans 10.9 and 10, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the uh, heart man believeth on the righteous, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then verse 13, whosoever is called upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then, you know, I talked to him a little bit about this. Not a lot of an explanation. And then I said, would you like to pray and ask the Lord to save you? I don't remember exactly what he said, but 
He just repeated after me a prayer. Then I emphasized that verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I went back to that house a couple of times, but he didn't seem interested at all in spiritual things. Now, most of us have probably taught the similar methodology of soul winning. But my question is, of course, as I began to experience these kind of scenarios and began to wonder, what, what am I doing wrong? What's wrong with this? Is this right? Am I, am I properly, or is it just the way people are? You know. But Paul here in Acts 20 says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And again, where I went to Bible school, they, they liked that verse, but they used a soul-winning methodology much like I just gave you. Uh, but when you think about Paul declaring that he shunned not, or he didn't shy away from preaching all the counsel of God, you know, declare a whole counsel of God means we should pre- preach all the, a couple things about this. We should preach all the Bible, not just the parts that are positive. Or that we deem easy to accept. And, you know, Isaiah chapter 30 and... Verses uh, 8 through 14, Isaiah had this, confronted this problem. In Isaiah chapter 30, in verse 8, he says, Now go, write it before them in a table, and note it in a book, that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, that's another name for, for, for a, uh, a Bible teacher or a prophet, see not. And to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits, get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Wherefore thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness, and stay thereon. Therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaketh, breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. And he shall break it as a breaking of the potter's vessel that is broken in pieces. He shall not spare, so that there shall not be found in the bursting of it a sure to take fire from the hearth or to take water withal out of the pit. So they, they wanted to say prophesy unto us smooth things. In Second Chronicles chapter 36, the Old Testament uh, history books kind of end with a, a sad... Uh, declaration, Second Chronicles chapter 36, in, in um, verses 15 through 21. I won't read all for sake of time, but Second uh, Chronicles 36, verse 15. The Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Uh, <clears throat> and of course, you know, Jesus spoke of this, how he would, have, he would have gathered Israel as a hen gathered her chicks. And he said, you would not. You would not. 
Uh, Paul spoke about this in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 4, where he says the days will come when they will desire teachers with itching ears. They'll be turned away from the truth. So, but the Lord here is declaring to us that, and is declaring that, you know, that many will not accept the plain preaching or teaching of the Word of God. They will not do it, but we are to teach it. Uh, we must teach and endeavor to practice every word of God. Matthew 4, 4 says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, not every word of God a scripture applies to you and I. There are three main groups addressed in the Bible. There's the Jews, there's the Gentiles, and then there's the churches. And not everything that is spoken to the Jews is, applies to us. Not everything, all the judgments of the Gentile nations doesn't apply to us. But there is, of course, learning, that we can, things we can learn from that, but, but you know, those are some distinctions. But we do need to live by every word that applies to us. And so we are to teach all the Bible, not just the parts we deem easy to accept. Uh, and then secondly, we must preach all that the Bible says on each doctrine. Uh, again, this is something that I've just thought through really recently. And this requires, you know, the sad thing is, oh, I, I knew this. But, you know, just because you know something doesn't always mean you always apply it to, to everything. Uh, this, this requires scripture, comparing scripture with scripture in immediate context and the context of the whole Bible. Uh, the golden rule of interpretation, as it's called, quote-unquote, is this, quote, When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Therefore, take every word as primary, ordinary, usual, literal meaning, unless the facts of the immediate context, studying the light of related passages, and axiomatic and fundamental truths indicate clearly otherwise, unquote. You know, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, there's a couple words I'm going to look at there. The word study means to exert oneself, to exert oneself. It really means to labor or to endeavor or to give diligence to. Uh, it's translated diligence, and it's also translated labor. In first, 2 Peter 1.10, he says, Wherefore, the brother, rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling election course. So, so you need to give careful examination and effort to Hebrews 4.11, let us labor, therefore, to enter into his rest. You know, if you're going to rest in the words of God and in a right relationship with God, it takes some effort on your part. You need to know what God's will is. It requires you to know what God's will is for you. And so it, it takes some diligence there, some effort. Uh, you know, Ecclesiastes 12.12, Solomon said this, Much study is the weariness of the flesh. So we're talking about something that requires some effort. And, and so study means to effort, to exert yourself. And, and then the word rightly dividing is the idea of cutting, uh, cutting, the idea of cutting to make straight and smooth or to handle aright. Now, so... Again, the idea here is you must divide the Scripture or put the right passages of Scripture together for a complete revelation concerning any doctrine in the Bible. 
Because there's, I don't think there's any Bible doctrine completely revealed in one passage of Scripture. You know, if you're going to talk about the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of salvation is not completely revealed in one passage of Scripture. If you're going to talk about the doctrine of church, the doctrine of church is not completely revealed in one passage of Scripture. You want to talk about justification, you're not going to learn all there is to know about justification in one passage of Scripture. You're going to have to compare Scripture with Scripture. That's why the Bible says to study, to show thyself approved unto God. And, you know, it, it, it reminds me of, you know, you cut something to make it fit right. If you're going to have, a, you know, if you're going to put puzzles together, all those pieces have to be a certain cut to make that puzzle fit. If you have a piece of the puzzle that is not cut right to fit the place where it's supposed to go, it isn't going to go in. And of course, you know, Scripture, the Bible says that, um, uh, it talks about, uh, in um, yeah, I didn't write this verse about it, but Second Peter one, I think it's verse twenty. No scriptures of any private interpretation. The word private means pertaining to oneself. So, you know, a passage of scripture is not just pertained to itself alone. So it requires we study context, determine what the passage goes with or with complements to another. Another another man said this quote. If all related passages are studied in the light of the context of each, and the facts thus gleaned are placed in the proper relationship with the others that are gathered from different passages, and if a thorough induction is made, then we have a complete and clear picture of the subject under consideration. We have all the truth that God has revealed on a given subject. So again, unquote. So again, you have to put all related passages together. And understand them in their context and in the context of the whole Bible. So, again, if you want to understand and present truth concerning the church, you have, to, you have to examine all the passages in the Bible that deal with the doctrine of the church. If you want to present a true gospel, you must have knowledge of what the Bible says about the gospel and all these passages and not just one. Not just one. Uh, and, and so... You know, what, is, what did the first gospel preacher say about the gospel? What did Jesus teach about the gospel? What did the apostles teach about the, 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 the gospel and the New Testament writers? See, we can't get a complete gospel without considering all the scriptures concerning the subject. And, of course, the same is true of the church or justification or sanctification or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of people in the world have different ideas about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But... And so we have to consider all the passages concerning these and what is written concerning each, comparing Scripture with Scripture, and it must harmonize or agree. For our God does not contradict himself. If there's not harmony or agreement, we have a wrong interpretation somewhere. Now, for example... Ephesians 4, the Bible says there's one baptism. I was talking to a fellow some years ago, and that subject came up. And the Bible said, well, he was talking about spirit baptism. And I said, well, the Bible says there's one baptism. Ephesians 4 says there's one baptism. Water baptism. He said, well, don't you believe there's spirit baptism also? I said, no. It can't be. 
Because if there is, there's more than one baptism in the Bible. So we can't have a right understanding of what's of spirit baptism if that's a legitimate baptism. Spirit didn't really baptize anybody. Jesus did. We were baptized by, uh, you know, for one spirit are we baptized into the body of Christ. We're baptized into his church. And the churches, you know, the disciples did the baptizing. It was a water baptism. And, of course, you know, they, they, they say that spirit baptism places you into the universal church. Well, of course, you have to believe in the universal church to, to believe that also. So, so it, there's a contradiction there. And, you know, until I began to understand, really understand the churches, there were a lot of passages that contradicted each other that I could not explain. Uh, you know, the Bible says there's one faith, and yet various groups believe that there's other ways to God. Well, then they can't be true. Because there's only one way to God. So we have to be careful to put the right cuts, if you will, together with the other right cuts. You know, the Bible's not a storybook. It's a book to be studied. And there's pieces in Matthew. There's pieces in John. There's pieces in Acts. And there's pieces in Philippians. And there's pieces in 2 Timothy that all have to do with the one same doctrine. And we have to put those pieces together to understand a completely a doctrine. So, so you know, for example, and we have to be careful about this, and just because the same words are used in different passages does not mean they're referring to the same thing. Let me give you an illustration. And this was mentioned in the Sunday school class a couple weeks ago. Genesis 1-2 says the earth was out form and void. Jeremiah, in fact, go to Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 23. Now, if you just isolate verse 23, you can do this. Jeremiah 4, 23 says, I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void. In the heavens, and they had no light. So there you are. You have without form and void. And see, people will take that passage and hook it up with Genesis 1, 2, and try and prove a gap theory. But if you read the context of Jeremiah 4, actually Jeremiah 4, 5, and 6, and yeah, Jeremiah 4, 5, and 6 are one message. And it has to do with the tribulation. If you read, let's, let's start verse, verse 22. For my people is foolish. Now, wait, wait, wait. Okay. In Genesis 1, was there a people known as the children of Israel? No. But Jeremiah is saying, my people are foolish. He's talking about his own people, the Israelites. They have not known me. They are the Saudis' children, and they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but they do to do good, they have no knowledge. And I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void. And heavens, they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled. And all the hills were moved lightly. And behold, I beheld, and lo, there was no man. And all the birds of the heaven were fled. So there's birds here, but he said they fled. I beheld, and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness. What's often referred to as the fruitful place? It's the land of Israel. Now it's a wilderness, he says. 
And all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord, and by his fierce anger. Thus, for thus hath the Lord said, The whole land shall be desolate, yet I will not make a full end. For this shall the earth mourn, and the heavens above be black, because I have spoken it, I have purposed it, and I will not repent, neither will I turn back from it. And, and we can go on there, but for sake of time, we'll do that. But, you know, Revelation six twelve it says, And I beheld, and when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, the sun became black, a sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Stars of heaven fell into the earth, and even as a fig tree cast their untimely figs, when it is shaken with a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it was rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of its places. You know, this is what Jeremiah is really referring to, is some of the things that go on in the tribulation period, where God is judging the nation of Israel for their continual rebellion against him for many years. And, and uh, uh, so, so we have to be careful to put the right passages. Just because they're the same words doesn't necessarily mean they go together. Context. Context. Bible doctrines are not meant to be mystical. That is impossible to understand. Now, they're not all easily understood. That's why it says study. And really, rightly divide means to cut straight or to set straight. You know, um, in Ephesians 1, in verse 3 to 10, Ephesians 1, 3 to 10, Again, I'm not going to read all this for the sake of time, so let me cut this down a little bit. Verse, go to verse 9, Ephesians 1, 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation, and a dispensation is really a time or a time period. And by the way, there are time periods in the Bible, and I might expand on that next week to help give clarification to rightly dividing the scriptures but anyway so it's a period of time you know you have the law and you have the new testament church age uh and and of course then you have a tribulation after that you have a thousand year reign of christ all those are dispensations or time periods Uh, and you know if you take if you take a passage of scripture that's supposed to be for a millennium and try to make it into the the age of the churches you're going to end up with false doctrine that's what all millennials do they would say we're in the millennium now and, and, there, and it's, a, it's a wrong interpretation of Scripture. So he says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. And then in chapter 3, he expands on this a little bit, where he says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, and that's referring to the ages of the churches, which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Uh, As I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs in the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So this was the mystery, that in the church, there's not Jew and Gentile. See, this was the problem. You know, I mentioned this this morning. With the Jews, they had a real problem with that. 
Many, many of the Jews had a real problem with that, accepting that Jew, the Gentiles could be in members of the Lord's church also. Because they still feel like they're up here, and you know, we Gentiles are down here. And so this mystery, uh, you know, it was hidden in past generations, but Paul said, now it's revealed to me by revelation. God revealed it to me, and I'm penning it down for you. And, uh, and so... Uh, However, you know, mysteries continue if we don't interpret each scripture in harmony with others. You know, in the immediate context and in the context of the whole Bible. You know, I had read 1 Corinthians 12 many times in my life as I read through the scriptures, but could never really make clarity of it until I understand the proper meaning and usage of the church. Because if you try to, if you, if you, if you, hold to a universal church view, it says there's to be no schism in it. Was there schism in the universal church? A lot of it, you know. Uh, So it seems contradictory. And so what I did was I avoided it as much as possible because I could not explain it. Just, Just make generalities about it. Because after all, it's a mystery. Well, Paul said, I made known the mystery. I made known the mystery. So, you know, this would be, again, you have to compare Scripture with Scripture and come up with interpretations that harmonize with each passage of Scripture. Now, this brings me to a second thing, uh, that that, uh, second point. I really only have two points here this afternoon. And that is... Understanding this and the, the truths of the Bible, and rightly dividing it and declaring the whole whole counsel of God, you know we need to you know, we need to have gospel conversations with people. Um, I think I did uh, tell you to uh, there's a good message that Pastor Roland Hammond had over at Calvary last year uh, concerning gospel conversations. But but as we consider this this afternoon, I'm going to look, look at Luke 18. I want to look at 2 and John 4. So go to Luke 18. So, you know, this is applying, a, I believe, a right interpretation of sharing the gospel with people uh, in, a, in a biblical way. Again, this is just something I really just learned in the last 10 years in you're making conversation. Okay, talking to somebody about spiritual things was never difficult for me as long as I could stay on spiritual subjects. But if I had to start asking questions and just carrying on a conversation, that's not easy for me. I'm kind of introvert. But anyway, but I've i really worked on, I work on work on that and 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 you know and try to to do it. But anyway, Matthew or I'm sorry, Luke 18. In verse 18, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, said unto him Why callest thou me good? What? He answers with him with a question. Why callest thou me good? None is good, that save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, come follow me. When he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. 
And when Jesus saw these very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And of course, Matthew tells us that he, he, he went away. Uh, so, you know, that was a conversation. And then if you go to John 4, and there's another conversation we have recorded for us in John 4 that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman. And it's, it's the, the written account of what was said is recorded from us for us from verse beginning at verse 7 and down through verse 26. And then I can read it for sake of time. I think you're familiar with the story. But the question I want to ask is this, as I've, again, really thought about this a lot. Were these conversations of necessity limited to what is written? Now, may I ask you that again. Were these conversations of necessity limited to what is written in the Bible? Now, let me point out a few things. Consider Luke's account of the rich young ruler. It's 85 words. That's all. 85 words. In John 4, with a Samaritan woman, what is written is the best that I can count. It's around 385 words. Now, according to Google, that is a three-minute speech or 1.3 minutes in reading, 385 words. Now, uh, granted, in a two-way conversation, it would probably be a little longer than that. But do we really think that that is all the longer Jesus actually talked to her? Or that's all the longer he talked to the rich young ruler? 85 words. Consider, concerning the Samaritan woman, John 4, 29. And this is what the Samaritan woman said. Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Now, do you think that in 385 words of back and forth conversation, probably half of those words were hers and half of them Jesus' words, that he told her everything that she did? In three minutes? You know, in a five or five or ten minute conversation with anyone, would it come out all that they ever did? And then consider John 21 and verse 25. John 21 and verse 25. <clears throat> and notice what John says concerning his writing. John 21, 25. There are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. See, I'm submitting to you that if, if the gospel writers wrote everything that was said to every person Jesus witnessed to, or at every time, or, or when Peter preached on Pentecost, if every record, word that he preached that day was recorded, or every word that Paul spoke to the Philippian jail was recorded, and that is true of all the Bible examples, you wouldn't be able to carry this. You wouldn't be able to carry it. It'd be books. It'd be volumes. 
But the beauty of this is, and, and this is, this is the miracle, of this, part of the miracle of this book. God in his wisdom told each writer what to write about each subject so that we, therefore, get a complete picture of that subject in all their various writings. But none of them record everything that was said or done. But enough for us to know or to give us examples of how we should conduct ourselves or witness for our benefit that we can effectively witness to a lost and dying world. You know, let, let's consider, and I mentioned this a little bit this morning, messages to consider in Acts chapter 2 and, verse, and, and from verse 15 on, Peter is preaching, and there's a lot of things we can learn from Peter's message here about, uh, it's, it's probably one of the longest in the Bible concerning a gospel witness that we have recorded, uh, but even so, you can read it in minutes, just a few minutes. Um, and, you know, it, it declares who Jesus is and, you know, that he's the Messiah and he was crucified and, and, and so on and so forth, that he's at the seat of David. And all this is very important, especially to the Jewish mind. And so that's why I believe it's really brought out here. But, again, you know, we, we read this, it's, it's just, you know, three, four, five paragraphs but like we often overlook, verse 40 is, with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. And again, that word many there means without comparison. It's used of an indefinite number. In Acts chapter 24 and verse 17, Paul said, now after many years. He didn't state how many, but he said it's been many years. I come to bring alms to my nation. Now, that was 20 or 25 years at least. So there's, there's kind of a large number here. And the same thing is true in Acts 16, 31 and 32, which I pointed out this morning. You know, he didn't just tell him to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, and he preached unto him the word of the Lord. He told him he needed to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, and he preached to them. So, so it really, really, it doesn't really tell us exactly the gospel presentation that Paul gave. It just states some things about it. What we are supposed to do is put all these things together of where gospel presentations are or the gospel being declared or what the gospel is. We're supposed to put them together to have a complete understanding of what the gospel is and what is required, repentance and faith. And so, so you know, and the other thing is, you know, I mentioned this morning, how long did Peter preach at Pentecost? 30 minutes, an hour. Two hours? Three hours? Half a day? Or Paul to the jailer? We don't know. However, we do know that in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, when they came together on the Sabbath, on the, on the first day of the week, as the disciples gathered, get, gathered together, Paul spoke on them till what? Midnight. Now, he spoke till midnight. Um, you know, again, put yourself into this time period 
We're not talking about hustle and bustle 21st century Western culture. Now, these people had time, and they took the Sabbath day seriously, the Lord's day seriously. That's what it was set aside for, and that's all they did. You know, you know I, I consider this also. Paul's ministry as a church planner was probably around 20 years. 20 years. And if my count is near accurate, he visited or preached in about 40 cities or 40 places. So divide that. That means he would have probably spent on an average six months in each place. Now we know in some places he got run out before that. We do know that he spent two years at Ephesus. Acts 19.10 tells us that. And a year and a half at Corinth, according to Acts 18.11. And of course, Ephesus, the fruit of that, Ephesus is one of the stronger churches in the New Testament. Uh, many places he had to flee because of persecution was driven at. The point is, he did not give brief presentations of the gospel. And not everything that is written is all that he said, or all that Peter said. And this is really what Matthew twenty-eight nineteen means when it says, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So the word teach there means to make a disciple. Now that precedes baptism. It means to make a disciple, to teach and instruct. And, you know, I am ashamed to admit it, but it's taken me 20 years to figure this out. Um, and so... You know, if we're going to declare all the counts of God, as Paul said we should, and be free from the blood of all men, uh, and not be guilty of resting the scriptures, we have to consider all that the Bible says about every given doctrine. And not just take out part of it that's easier. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. He's a shield unto them to put the trust in him. That word pure there means to smelt away. It has the idea of silver or refining silver to purify it. So every word of God is, 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 is a, a, a smelting away. It's, it's a purifying. So the more, the more of the scriptures you use in presenting a doctrine, the more pure your giving of that doctrine is. If you just give a little bit, you know, and, and we have to be careful. You know, many times we don't, have, we don't have a lot of time to talk to people. It's like the man in the restaurant the other day. We didn't have, we didn't have a lot of time. You know, he, he didn't want to spend time. So we just left him with a few, few things. One of the things I often leave people with in a situation like that is to just remind them that there's one God and one mediator between God and man. I particularly like to use that with Catholics, you know, or, you know, those who believe in many gods. So, you know, you can leave with a verse like that, that, you know, could, could, that the Lord could use, maybe somebody could water it and add to it, because really that's what we're doing. We're, we're planting seeds, we're planting seeds, and we're watering. 
you know, I, I know Andrew and Melinda are working with somebody that came to a men's retreat years ago. They still have sometimes opportunity. You know, and, and so you share, as you get more opportunity, you share more. It's like Brother Forney said, you, you, know, somebody may, you may plant a seed, and, and somewhere down the road you may water that seed and bring it a little farther along. Your goal is to get to that person's salvation, but until they understand and you can give them more clarity of the gospel, they're not going to come to salvation until they have understanding. And you may not be able to do that all in one setting, and you can't do it in five minutes. It's just not possible. So we need to, to you remind ourselves that to be careful with the gospel, to be wise with it, and be good stewards of it, uh, and declare the whole counsel of God. Again, Matthew 4, 4, but he answered said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God doth man live. And you know, when our gospel witness, this is another thing that I was instructed, instructed don't answer questions. Sinners, you know, I heard a guy say, sinners don't, have, don't, sinners don't have questions. Really? And so, you know, I was told, don't get sidetracked with their questions. Say, well, I'll answer it after we're done with this. But in Luke 10, 25, it says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up tempting him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? You know, one of the most effective tools that you and I can use is ask questions. So you can understand where they are. If you don't know where they are, you cannot answer them with wisdom. You cannot. And so this is, and this is part of you know, having gospel conversations. You know, you know, God has given us the responsibility, we're to be stewards of the gospel, to take the gospel into the whole world, or into our individual worlds, wherever we are, wherever we meet people. And so, you know, we just need to remember that we need to declare all the counsel of God. Whatever subject it is. And, and the importance of not giving people a false understanding by pulling out a couple of little things that sound easy or that can get results just so we can say we got results. Um, again, Jesus didn't do that. He addressed people where they were and answered their questions and presented the truth. And sometimes people responded positively and sometimes they responded negatively. But we need to give the truth. So, so that's declaring the whole counsel of God. Next week, Lord willing, I'm going to pick up a little bit and talk about some dispensation time periods and, and kind of give us some guidance as to what does not pertain to us and what does. Because um, not everything that's written in the Bible pertains to the churches of the Lord Jesus. Uh, we need to understand that as well. Well.